It's Pete Price and I am with Carl Cashman and I've got to tell you, wow. Leader of the Liberal Democratic Party in Liverpool. He's young, attractive, a bodybuilder, described in the press as UK's hottest politician. Bachelor of uh, Arts degree in politics. How's that for an intro? Is that right? Yeah, I quite like that, Peter. I might use that myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, we've got to talk, because what we're going to do, and anybody listening, do not be put off because he's a politician. We're going to look at politics. We're going to look at him, a young man in the world of politics these days, because the world is changing. First of all, how do you feel about being described as the hottest politician in the land? Well, it's, it's quite flattering. Obviously, you go into politics and you don't go into it to be described in that way. Um, and they always say, don't do that. Politics is the profession that people that couldn't make it in acting go into. But I've always been interested in politics to change people's lives, basically, Pete. So it's nice, but it's just a, you know, it's a bit of a, a side for me. Um, you know, what I want to do is make sure that Liverpool is a, a better place. And, you know, if people want to... People want to have a little look and you know make a comment, then that's absolutely fine. Carl, we're going to talk about politics at length, but we're going to stay with who you are first of all, because we've got to talk about the bodybuilding thing. You are into it. How long have you been into bodybuilding? And was there a reason you started? Were you bullied in school? Are there any stories behind it? No, I wasn't. I wasn't bullied in school. I I, I went to Higherside in Wiston, which was it's quite a rough school. So when when we went, you heard all these stories about people being bins and put into toilets and things like that and you just think no there's definitely no truth to that but there is actually a truth to it which is you know it's scary in a sense but you know school contributed to the person that I am today Um, I started bodybuilding when I was 16 so my granddad had a shed, an asbestos shed I had as well. Asbestos? <laughs> yeah, it probably yeah. wasn't best for the health, like, but um, I just started from there and then I just loved it ever since, really. So I've been doing it for the last 13 years now, four times a week. Has it ever taken over your life? Have you ever been to the stage? Because I remember somebody, I used to do a lot of athletics years ago, and I remember somebody coming in who was very heavy, turned to bodybuilding, lost his wife and kids because of it, because it became an obsession. Has it ever been an obsession with you? Yeah, it has been an obsession. I'd say most, mostly in terms of dieting. So sometimes I wouldn't enjoy myself or people would say that I was boring because I wouldn't have a drink or I wouldn't eat certain foods. But I've, I think I've... I've come to a, a point in my life now where I kind of I balance it a little bit better. I think that's just part of getting older. But I've never I've never taken steroids or any performance enhancing drugs. I think that's that's when you'd cross the line into uh, making it a lifestyle rather than just an everyday uh, choice that you can work around your daily life. I'm glad you mentioned steroids because it is a major problem within the bodybuilding world and it does change people's personalities. It makes them incredibly aggressive. Have you had to deal with it without mentioning names? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the gym that I used to go to, so first of all, I used to go to the, the Western Village gym. Um, you usually find them in, in more expensive gyms, to be honest, and without uh, ratting anyone out, should I say, there's... Uh, there's quite a lot of that that goes on in in other gyms uh, around Heighton and, and and the Merseyside area, um. So you know, I have I had a few people who've you know, you've thought if I kind of continue this conversation, it's going to go somewhere uh, where we're going to end up in a bit of a scuffle here. Um, but I have seen it affect people's lives really, really badly. Personal friends, um, where you know, 
it's actually the health has taken a, a turn for the worst and it's impacted the family life as well. Can you explain what steroids do to people who are into bodybuilding? Yeah, so because it's synthetic um, hormone, it replaces your, your hormone level. So essentially, um, this is through reading around it. Um, because your body gets used to that synthetic hormone, it stops producing its own hormone. So this is why you have the balls shriveling up, things like that. And it can actually have long-term effects in terms of that that never change. I think, uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce the word because it's hard, but men develop uh, something in, in the chest where essentially they start growing what you consider to yes. be boobs, yeah. Wow. So you bodybuild, how, how often do you train now? Four times a week, um, so I'll, I'll go into the lifestyles and wave it, you know, and I'll do me four sessions a week. And it's, it's one of them for me, Pete, I've, I've got to do it. It's become, a, it's become such a habit where if I don't go to the gym, I'll just be fidgeting and I'll just think, I need to go and like blow off some steam here. Do you get depressed if you don't go to the gym? Oh yeah, it certainly affects my mental health. And I think that's something that happened during COVID as well. Um, I know I spoke to a few fellas, affected men a lot, I think. Um, I, I spoke to a few fellas when the gyms opened up again. We were in the sauna and they just said, you know what, I don't even go in here necessarily to get bigger or to train. I go in here because I need it for my mental health, for my peace of mind. If you've just joined us, I'm talking to Carl Cashman, uh, who is a politician, uh, a very good-looking guy. We're still talking about the bodybuilding because it's really interesting. How did you cope and your pals through lockdown? Because it was a problem, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, looking back now, some people might say that um, there was things would have been done differently in terms of the way things were locked down. I made uh, quite a public statement about gyms being open because I think that it benefits people in terms of, as we were saying, the health and the mental health. Um, and I, I think there was a lot of people that have, and school children as well, actually, Pete, that have ended up with, with serious conditions because of the lockdown. I'm not for a second saying that, you know, it shouldn't have happened to save people's lives. What I'm saying is, you know, we need to look after those people and have some sort of programme so they can, uh, they can catch up or, or still get on in life. Do young people still come into uh, looking after themselves in gyms? Yeah, they do. There's quite a few young lads in the old gym that I used to go to that used to look up to me quite a little bit. You know, some lads in the, uh, the, the um, early 20s or 1918. And it's nice because you kind of get that impression that, you know, I've been there when I was that age and you look up to someone who's, you know, maybe got like a bit of a better body and they want to um, progress to that stage. So I definitely, I can definitely see that both in Wavertree and in my old gym. And I think it's something that children, well, from 16 onwards should be encouraged to do. I want to keep talking about this because I'm setting the picture for you as a politician because do you think this is ever going to be because I know you've got a lot of ambition and you know I think you're going to do really well because I like and admire the way you speak which is why I wanted to talk to you but do you think it's going to be a problem ever for you do you think it's going to come back to bite you on the bum yeah that's a good question actually and it's something that it's plagued me for quite a while to be honest because Obviously, in politics and in, in any circle where you're operating on, you know, policy or um, processes, you want to be taken seriously. And you know, sometimes, particularly recently on, on Twitter, there's been a few people saying, obviously, it's brawns over brains and things like that. And it, it does get to you because you want to make sure that 
while it's nice to have those comments in terms of you know your looks, your body, you you also want to be taken seriously as a politician. And that that's you know I, I say that to to close friends normally, but that's just being honest with you. So politics, why why did you want to go into <laughs> politics? I know you said at the beginning you want to make a difference, but why? There's got to be more to it than that. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, it's because of my background, really. So you know the fact that I grew up on a on a council estate, and I just I, I just seen people from different backgrounds getting more opportunity than than myself and and for other people that I care about and people within my family, you know, developing um, these cruxes you know, where they be you know, drugs or smoking or alcohol, and just thinking this is wrongness. And I genuinely believe that part of the reason that people turn to these things is because. They haven't got anywhere else to look in life. And I think that's what started me off on my journey, just the, the, the inequality that we see in communities around Liverpool and Merseyside. Now, the problem with politics to me now is when you first started, social media wasn't the way it was. To me, anybody, we can slag off a million politic, politicians. I can. I, I will, you and I will disagree over lots of things. That's why I want to keep it on a level field to think about all the problems but social media can destroy you as a politician without you trying to do your job yeah 100 percent. i've always said it's it's not about disagreeing with someone anymore it's about actually destroying who they are as a person and their reputation so there was something recently where i disagreed with a, a council policy and it was picked up by uh, you know environmentalists my point was completely mistaken it was about the growth of grass verges and rather than debate me on the I issue, read that story yeah yeah rather than debate me on the issue Pete you probably see you know it was all basically saying that I wanted to destroy the, the planet and I didn't care about animals and that's just so far from the point that I was making but you see now there you've given the most extreme example from grass verges that's what worries me why would young people go into politics these days because of that because their life is on the line yeah I think it's because young people do need to be involved in politics because too often there's you know it's people who are in the 60s 70s that are deciding what happens for young people and i think a lot of pe young people that i speak to have got an issue with that but don't tend to do anything about it the type of person that i am i, I i'm like i describe myself as frustrated for change so if, if i see something is wrong i want to fix it myself maybe that's just part of my personality but I, that's why essentially I got involved it's interesting you say that you want to change I won't mention names but I know a politician here that went down to to parliament and the frustration because there was no change because it takes forever to have a change you've got a fighting chance here in Liverpool or Birkenhead or whatever because it's small but when you're in politics in parliament how do you get change yeah, it's it's a good point, and I think I think I know the person that you're talking about, and I actually agree with them. It's it's very frustrating that you can get sent to Parliament and actually have less influence in Parliament than you would in local government in Liverpool. And it was Mike Story that said to me actually when I was first thinking about standing in Liverpool, why would you ever want to to go to Parliament and be an MP when you can transform people's lives in this city by leading the council? And you know there's there's something to be said about that because you know. But some of the issues that we face might be trivial, um, but you can also tackle those massive issues by being a councillor and you know, potentially leader of the council in the future. If you just join me, I'm talking to Carl Cashman. You mentioned a dear man there, Mike Story. 
I actually admired and respected him as um, his politics and his views. And also, I was always described, and he was as well, as Pete Price and Mike Story. Because we look similar. <laughs> yeah. You've got a better time, Pete, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> with politics and you with the Lib Dems, are parties sort of merging more these days? I can, I can see I can see what you mean by that and I, I think to demonstrate that point you'd probably see Labour moving more towards the, the right in order to sweep up those Tory votes and I think in Liverpool you get quite a lot of people frustrated with that because the people more in the north of the city and, and even you know in the south they want to see radical transformative council and governments and you don't get that when you're making compromises left right and center um, so I think you're right. I think what differentiates us without getting too political is the fact that we, we listen to people. And I think that the, the other two parties ignore that quite a bit, particularly, I'd say, in this city in the last few years. Now, you mentioned before about young people get frustrated with older people making the decisions. But do you not feel that older people have more wisdom? They're not always right. We know they're not always right. But doesn't that count for something? It does, yeah. And I, I've, I've always been a fan of a balance. So I, I would never come in and say, do you know what, let's, let's sweep the board and let's get all 20, 30-year-olds in here. I think a good balance is the right thing. But at the moment... That isn't there, so it's it's all 60, 70-year-olds. And just on the point about wisdom, so for me, a, a real source of that is, is Mike, um, and he's given me a lot of pointers in terms of you know, where we should be going, what we should be doing, and the way that we campaign is, is very, very similar. So we've gelled in that way. And I think having that kind of wide-eyed view from myself, but then Mike saying, you know, maybe you want to rein that in a bit, or maybe you want to do this, has been really, really helpful. Now, one thing, I won't mention who your team is, so we don't get any bias, but you're a football fan. Uh, the reason I mention that is with politics yet again. In the football world now, if managers haven't done anything special within three games, they want them sacked. Is that not happening with politics now? Doesn't everybody want it now, especially since the pandemic? Yeah, 100%. Probably since the pandemic, but since social media came about really i think and i think because we're in the information age where you get something so instantly people expect everything so instantly and it, it when you're in a leadership position or a managerial position it makes things really really difficult actually because you're expected to deliver consistently day after day whereas in the past you know you wouldn't hear from someone for maybe two months and then they pop up do a speech or send you a letter and that will be your contact with them but I, I do honestly think it's because social media is changing the way society views um you know milestones so football that happens politics that happens and i think it happens in the way of the work as well but doesn't that also put people off young people coming into politics why should they go into politics when they're laying their life on the line in social media circles and they can't do anything and let's face it we've all got a past so we could all have something i mean they've just had a go in the papers about uh, james bond who went through a red light on his on his bike that's the way it's going so why would young people go into politics surely it's frightening yeah it is i mean it's frightening all you need to do is take a look on on twitter and instagram as i've mentioned before but i think the reason the reason that they go into politics and i think a lot of young people are very frustrated about matters that really matter to them but and then to make a very brief political point you know 
the Tories and, and, and the uh, the London um the low emission zone. You know, young people would probably support something like that, but older people potentially wouldn't. Young people might not think that the best route to change that is to get into politics, but older people, as you said, have got that wisdom to know that they should do that. And I think there needs to be an education around it. So there's two things that needs to be an education around how you can influence politics and what you can do. But then there also needs to be a bit of a regulation on social media where you know people can't go out to destroy people's reputations. No, they've got to police it. They've yeah. got to police it because it's starting to de- destroy stuff. And here's a great example, and we will talk about Trump. Um, Trump has said about um, false news. And it's not false news. When the BBC or ITV or um, they have to have three sources to confirm what it is. And he's made it so people then straight away say it's false news. He's done so much damage, hasn't he, to the yeah. world of politics. The world of politics. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think Boris took the mantle after that as well. But I think the danger with saying about, about fake news is if you create a cult, people just believe that. And then the platform is there in terms of social media to create your own news. So I, I, I've seen things before where I've looked at it and thought, there's no way that that can be right. And it is literally just made up articles from a, an organization that wants to spin a story. The best example of that, Peter's what happened with it, without getting into it no, too no. much, no, no, no. without happen, what, what happened with it, with Brexit. And you know, social media was used to manipulate people sometimes with fake news stories. Were you for or against? Brexit. Uh, against Brexit. Yeah. Strongly against Brexit. So was I. So Good. was I. Um, so, we're talking politics now. Let's move closer to home. We both, we've only just met, but we've both got a huge passion, and it's called Liverpool. Yeah. And it is a passion. Before we talk about your politics in Liverpool, how long have you been in politics now? Um, I started when I was 18, so that's 13 years. Right. Has there been any time when you've gone, no, I've got to leave, this is too much? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd say um, when it was the coalition. So <laughs> I, I always actually appreciate this because I started in the coalition years and that was sort of a baptism of fire. And I, I, don't, I, I don't particularly like what the Conservatives stand for. So I think that strengthened me resolve. But there was times in that, and even afterwards because of social media, where I've thought... It's not worth this. It's really not worth putting yourself out there. But I think, you know, it's it's about sitting down with the people around you that are all working for the same goal. And like you say, Pete, working for Merseyside in the city of Liverpool. And you think, do you know what? It doesn't matter what these people say. It's worth it. Let's do it. Have you lost any good friends because of your beliefs? I actually haven't, which I'm surprised about because I know a lot of the um, the referendum, both in Scotland and the, the Brexit referendum, made people, even families, oh, yeah. fall out. Yeah. But a, a good story behind this beat is the fact that my nan and granddad always voted Labour. Um, you know, they just thought that's what they did because of their backgrounds. And um, they were quite confused when I joined the Lib Dems. But ever since I've joined and, you know, I've, they've seen how hard they've been working, They've always voted Lib Dem. I mean, Nan and Grandad have always backed me. I, I grew up with my Nan and Grandad, and they've always backed me ever since I was a kid. Are they still with you? Yeah, they you are. Still yeah. got, you still both got them. Yeah. What made you pick the Lib Dems? So it was it was watching the, the general election debates in 2010. So, you know, watching them, and I thought, you know, I agree with what this guy's saying. Read the manifestos like a saddo, and um, I just thought, you know, brilliant. And I actually think of ever. If people take the time to read the manifesto, there's probably not going to be a lot of people that do that. 
But if you do, you'll see the Lib Dem manifesto is very, very sensible. And it talks about equality a lot. And Let me know. stop you there, because I used to say on radio, used to make me angry. Uh, who have you voted for? There's no point in voting for any of them. They're all the mm. same. Have you ever ref- read their man- manifestos? No. What's the point? Yeah. It's That makes me angry. Yeah, you write them, you have principles, you have ideas, but people, because they can't be asked. Yeah, it's true. But I, I always think, so. You, I suppose not voting is a choice, but I always think if you did read the manifestos, there's someone for everyone, even, even the most crazy people out there, there's someone for them. So I always You think... had to bring Screaming Lord Such into it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wondering whether you'll stand for election sometime soon, Peter, to be honest. I think you'd do well, to be honest, in Liverpool. The Lizard Party. <laughs> yeah. That'd be brilliant, that. I don't know whether I'd have to be effective if that was the case. What, what do the Lib Dems stand for in this city? So the Lib Dems in this city stand for better life chances for those who come from any background. So that's whether you know, you're from a working class family on a council estate or whether you're from an affluent, an affluent suburb in the south of the city. We think that no matter where you're from, everyone should be afforded the same opportunity. And I, I genuinely believe that you know, when we ran the council, that's what we did. And one of the things that I, I love the most about what we did when we ran the council was when we, we took everyone up a band and we basically eradicated the lowest band of pay in the council. And I think that's a real liberal principle. Tell me, um, is there ageism within politics? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So when I first got involved, you know, some of the comments I used to get were, you know, do you even know what council tax is? You know, you never pay the bill in your life. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some merit to what they're saying, but I don't really understand why someone who's... 18, 19, 20, can't have a better and bigger worldview than, than people who are, you know, 60, 70, 80. And the way that I demonstrate that is my nan and granddad, and I love them to bits, but they've never been outside of this country. Whereas I've been to, you know, I've been to places in Asia and America, and I think my worldview is probably a bit more rounded. I'm not saying that you need to go away to these places in order to do that. But, you know, some of these people that say these ages comments... You know, they're kind of in their own little um, glass house. Now, what about making a living? Is politics because you could be an MP and not be voted in? Isn't that giving you a little bit of... Where it unhinges you? Yeah, yeah. So it is, it's, it, it is a little bit unstable, but I work as well as... I'm a councillor, um, and most councillors that I know do the same because... This is where the ageism comes in as well, actually, Pete, because a lot of people can only go into being a councillor when they're retired because it gives you the time and also you've probably got a pension there as well to be able to do it. Whereas for me, I've always worked it around my day job, but I actually think that's really important because I think it's important for councillors to be normal people. You know, it's rather like 100% politics, politics, politics all the time. So in my day job, I'm I'm a mortgage broker. And I think that gives me a bit more of a well-rounded view of, of what life is all about. Do you want to go into national politics? I don't think so. I used to want to when I was younger. But, you know, basically what you've been saying, you know, the abuse that you get, you know, 50% of people might love you, but 50% of people will absolutely despise you. And within that 50%, there might be 10, 10% nowadays that actually want to harm you, which is, which is horrible. So I don't really see the point, to be perfectly honest. I've grown up... 
loving the city. I'm not a born Scouser. I'm an adopted Scouser. They made me a, an official adopted Scouser, which was great. I've worked in the city all my life. I live across the water. People take the mickey out of me and have a go at me saying, why do you live there if you love Liverpool so much? Well, where I live, I've got the view of the waterfront. So I've got the best view in the world of Liverpool every day in my life. The point I want to make about Liverpool, it was a down dreadful place at one stage a dreadful place 2008 it changed ginormously uh, with the capital culture and we started to see and there was problems with Margaret Thatcher was in whatever whatever where's the city now in your opinion we won't mention any names we know there's been lots and lots of problems still ongoing some of them but we've had these people in from London who are costing a vast amount of money to run our accounts tell me what your thoughts are yeah so I, I think I agree with you that you know 2000 and probably 2005 to 2008 the city seeing a renaissance you know that was through the likes of Capital Culture and Liverpool One I think now we've taken a little bit of a downturn and I actually hate to say that because I, I love Liverpool and I never ever want to well, talk we've got to be down. honest yeah exactly I never want to talk the city down but you're right we've got to be honest and I think it's reputation has been damaged um, and I, I, I want to see the commissioners out as soon as possible but I'm one of these that think that they're there for a reason and the reason is because you know, what's gone on in, in the city has not been right and it's quite clear to see that when you look at all the papers and, and uh, the colour reports Um I think the city's got massive potential, so I think there needs to be much more building. Um, the, the city centre's got so much more potential than what we, we've used, um, and there hasn't been that foresight. And I think, you know, I understand from the past there might have been people who've you know, wanted to speed things along, but because they tried to speed things along, they've missed due process, and I think, you know, that's that's been detrimental to the city rather than positive for the city. What I love about the city is the waterfront. I mean, we had all those major problems with Southampton taking us to the Court of Human Rights to stop the ships coming in, which was ridiculous, because each ship is worth, I believe, about a million pounds to us. We, we have a phenomenal city, don't we? I also remember when one of the hotels, I think it was Malmaison, was opening, and people were saying, we don't need any more hotels. We need all hotels in the world, yeah. don't we? Yeah, we do. And I, I, you know, I think... Development brings in with investment, brings jobs, brings money to use on other projects. So I'm a big fan of of doing that, Pete. But I mean, for me, this might be controversial and it might go against what some of my colleagues believe. But I don't think the the world heritage status is is that important for Liverpool because we need to develop as a, as a city and as a waterfront. And you know, for me, it's more about what we can do to to create jobs than you know things looking a bit more pretty because it hasn't got a bigger building in the. As you can see, I've got a silly, stupid grin on my face because we <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, great. I was told by a certain businessman that the biggest problem was that because there was so much red tape that everyone was moving to Manchester yeah. with their projects, and we lost out. So we are definitely... I might be voting for you, you know. Oh, <laughs> nice I can't. Story. I'm out across the water. I can't. Damn, <laughs> we damn, have to move damn. you over to Liverpool yeah. first. But Both no, I agree, I, I agree with you over that. And and some of the uh, the older members of, of, of the, politic, the politicians' world in Liverpool did not like it. But I couldn't agree with you more. I, I thought, wow, cheer... I mean, look at the stadium. 
whether you're red or blue, and I won't put you on the spot which you are, but that stadium is going to bring so much business yeah. to Liverpool. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, the way the way that it's been funded, there's questions over that, but I, I completely agree, Pete. I think that the stadium's great. You know, it'll bring in um, new buildings, more people living in the city centre, more footfall for, for businesses in the city centre. And you're completely right. I just want to agree with one of the points that you made. We've lost out so much to Manchester over sure. the last decade or, or two. And it's awful because we're, you know, we're two cities separated by a stretch of motorway. But Manchester seems to have all this inward investment. It's getting on with the job. Whereas Liverpool's always pay, playing catch-up. And I just, I just think that's wrong. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. So how do you balance it all? Politics, the gym, which is important to you, your private life um, and your job. How? It's difficult. Um, I try and go to the gym when I can on, on my uh, breaks. So I, my job's nine to five moment and then I've got my meetings a little bit later on but luckily and this is I suppose this is a, a paying testament to social media really because I've got access to most of the things on my phone I can sort out any casework or emails that way um, it is difficult and you know anyone who wants to get involved in politics I'm not going to say for a second that it's easy but I actually think there should be laws in place that give people more, um, you know, like young mothers more leave um, to do political duties and to care for the children. And uh, people who work, you know, like an hour off here or there to, to perform those political duties as well. In an ideal world, we'll give you a situation now and uh, take as long as you want on this one. I've now put you in charge of Liverpool. It's not going to be an easy job. You've got a great team around you. What would you change? Well, the, the first thing that springs to my mind, uh, Pete, is... So the, the, the procurement, just to be technical for a second, the procurement process has not been right with the council, so that's something to get right. Explain but, what that is. Um, so that's when when a contract goes out to, to tender and the council procures some work. Uh, you know, it hasn't been done in, in the right way in the past, and I think that needs to be you know, corrected. And also, you know, there's the point that some of these contracts have gone to, to specific people without opening it up to wider businessmen and there might be you know, business people out there that would have wanted to invest in Liverpool never been given the opportunity um, and then just to, to, to really go down and bottom it out so that it's at the lowest level at the moment parking in the city is one of the biggest issues so why? because people, people just park wherever they want at the moment even in the city centre so in the, in the city centre, you, you see people parked across pathways, parked over double yellow lines. And in the area that I represent, there was a picture in the Echo the other day, I don't know whether you've seen it, but it was a local dad pushing his pram. He couldn't get his pram, pram past the car. And I just I just think that's wrong. And it's, it's um, you know, motorists are taking the Michael really when they're doing that. So what else would you do for Liverpool to put it back on the map? Yeah, so I think... So those smaller things are something that the residents really care about. But I think you know, the, the first thing to do to put, to put it on the map globally is to make it a global city that welcomes people um, and welcomes in with investment. So I would open it up to, um, to business people. I would have a, I would have a consulate in Europe. Um, so I would make sure that we were speaking to all these European cities saying, this is why Liverpool is a great place to invest in. So I think you know, we're, we're very... UK centric at the moment but I think Liverpool's always been a global city and we can really play on that you know we've got our culture got our music um, and there's something I don't know ever I don't know ever to tell you this at the moment people there's something that I've got in mind that I would really like to do in Liverpool but 
I've got to I've got to really work on the uh, the the policy of it at the moment. So, remote working is is the new big thing in in the the world at the moment because of what happened during the pandemic. So I think Liverpool could be the capital of remote working, and what I mean by that is, you know, you you build all these buildings that have got you know Wi Fi in them, Wi Fi around the city, super fast broadband, and they've got co-working spaces all around them and we attract the biggest jobs into this city because people don't need to actually work physically there they can work from them within the comfort of their own apartment block that's great that you say that what are your views on home workers and getting people back in to the council back into the buildings in Liverpool yeah so I, I'm actually of the view that I think it's appropriate to, to do face-to-face because I think you, you miss something when you do um, online. So I'm a big fan of hybrid working. So I think you need that interaction because it can affect your mental health if you don't have it. And I think that's why that idea is so good because you, you're still with co-workers, but they might work for different industries. Um, so I think you need to, you need to set up, you, know, you need to facilitate the potential to do hybrids so you know, you know you build these systems into the council you build them into these new apartment blocks in terms of the council i know Theresa grant when she was chief executive said you know zero tolerance on on homework and she wants people to come into the council and i think that's you know in a way it's right with care workers because that's a very very in-person job but i don't think it's right with everyone got to ask you you're a young man uh new uh exciting vibrant you you you, you're fresh you're not tired what's your opinion and please be as honest as you want with this one on woke (laughs) ah you're gonna get me on that one pete um so i i actually i do think there's a culture out there where i'm gonna be very careful what i say on this as well I do think there's a culture out there that gets offended far too easily and actually some people who go out of the way to be offended. Um, so I, I do think, I don't know whether I call it woke culture, but I, I would say that there's a, there's a certain aspect of society at the moment where they will get offended no matter what and they will, they will attempt to use that to potentially destroy your reputation. And I, you know, I think you know, the whole snowflake issue as well, I always find that really funny because the people who, you know, like, so the Tories or someone else, you might call people snowflakes, or, you know, Piers Morgan, for an example, he's a snowflake himself, and they get quite offended at certain things. So I just think, do you know what? Like, we could do with a world where people got a little bit less offended. To finish off, and I could talk to you for hours, but you're a fascinating man, fascinating man. What advice, serious advice, would you give to young people listening now who maybe are on the brink of going into politics? I'd say do it. It's really, you know, that simple. I'd say do it. Um, you won't regret it. Whether that's in the Lib Dems, the Labour Party, you know, the Greens, the Tories, whoever. And don't be afraid to reach out because when I got involved in politics, I didn't know the process. I just took a chance and then luckily landed on my feet. I think a lot of people have got involved in politics and haven't been helped in that way. So I'd say do it and don't be afraid to reach out for some support. That's really interesting. And I'm now going to give you an open, open plan. So what do you think of the politics in this country right now, today, 2023? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a bit more upbeat today because the Lib Dems have just won a by-election down south. 
Labour won one, but then the Tories held one. So hopefully that's a, a good sign. But in general, I think it's pretty atrocious, to be honest. Um, people are just riding roughshod over normal people at the moment. And the, the biggest for me is you've got people in charge that have never had a hard... Not a hard day, but they've never had to scrimp and save the whole lives. And there's people in this city that have really, really struggled and are struggling at the moment through the cost of living. And I think they look at the people on, on telly and just think, this person hasn't got a clue what I've been through. So I think the state of it is terrible. I think it needs more normal people involved in it to change that. Do you think there's any politicians out there, love or hate Margaret Thatcher, love or hate the president of the United States like Ronald Reagan, but they were characters, Churchill, the people. Do you think there's any politicians out there like that? Oh, yeah, there's, I mean, you know, there's, there's an argument that Boris Johnson's a character. He's good to watch, but, you know, maybe not good in charge of a country. I always loved Charlie Kennedy. Um, he was always, you know, my idol in, in, in the Lib Dems, right. yeah. And, um, you know, I've got respect for local politicians as well, you know, like, Steve, like Steve Rotherham, I like Steve. He's a, he's a nice guy. Um, and, you know, there's others as well, like, as I mentioned before. But in, in terms of effectiveness, I think there's, there's two things. Isn't it? That there can be someone who you disagree with them on policy, but who you think, Do you know what, they were effective, though. I think you probably say that about Thatcher, you probably say that about Tony Blair. You know, you might not have agreed with what they said, but they, they, you know, they got things done. Well, I've taken enough of your time. He's actually given up one of his hours from bodybuilding to talk to me today. <laughs> Carl, thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting P Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over a hundred interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free. <laughs>